Welcome to Behind the Bookshelves. My name is Richard Davis, and this Abe Books podcast is dedicated to telling the stories behind books and the people who love them. Today, we're pulling on our hiking boots and stepping out onto the Appalachian Trail with author Philip Daneri. The Appalachian Trail is more than 2,000 miles or 3,500 kilometers in length. It stretches from Maine to Georgia and winds through 14 U.S. states. The trail follows the ridgeline of the Appalachian Mountains and guides hikers through true wilderness. Philip Dunery has written a book called The Appalachian Trail, a biography, which looks at the people behind the conception and construction of the trail over a period of, well, 150 years. For many of us, Bill Bryson's A Walk in the Woods was the book that put the trail on the map. But that 1998 bestseller came after decades of exploration, planning, campaigning, lobbying and pathmaking. So welcome, Philip. Uh, Thanks very much for having me. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, Congratulations on the book. My first question is, it's about a a gentleman you feature in the book called... um, Benton Mackay, was he the first person to come up with the concept for the trail? Well, he was and he wasn't. You know, like like with so many inventions, and the Appalachian Trail was an invention, it's both a product of the times and a lot of people's talking about ideas. And then, you know, one person who really formulates it for, um, you know, in a more permanent way. So there had been for several years, the construction of trails, especially in the Northeastern U.S. mountains, and the stitching together of these trails into more long distance trails. Um, So there was talk in the community about, geez, you know, at some point you could conceivably do this right up and down the eastern seaboard of the U.S. Um, As Mackay was the first to admit, um, that general conversation was happening and he was in and around it. But there's no question that he was the first person to publish an article that laid out a complete concept for an Appalachian Trail. Um, It was published almost exactly 100 years ago. The title of the article was An Appalachian Trail, a Project in Regional Planning. And that article and the organization that Mackay got started is what did eventually build the trail. Now, one of the biggest obstacles, it seemed to me as I read the book, was that hiking as we know it today just didn't exist a hundred years ago. Um, The woods and the wilderness were something to be seen as a resource for for lumber or or something like that. Um, Is that true? Yeah, absolutely. It really wasn't until the late 1800s that the forest, the woods, the mountains could be viewed as anything other than either a resource or a nuisance that was just in the way. Um, It took the development of the industrial economy, the creation of a middle class, people who were very safe and secure in their surroundings for them to be able to see the possibilities of a retreat in nature, to see nature as something as uh, a relaxing alternative to the rest of the world. In that way, ironically, 
wilderness, nature, the outdoors are very much a product of our urban life because we really were only able to view and experience the outdoors in that way as a byproduct of the safety um, and the and the economic well-being of late 19th century industrialization. So once the, the concept became established and planners started to plan, what were the other obstacles that um, the trail faced to be established? In the early history of the trail, the big one was um, organizing the groups of people to go out and do the work. Um, it was almost entirely a volunteer-built trail. Um, and those volunteers were organized into local clubs. So after Mackay got the idea out there, uh, a different individual named Myron Avery was a, a compulsive, rabid enthusiast for the Appalachian Trail. And he put in countless hours to get local clubs organized to uh, mark a route that it could follow um, and to then get the work done. Um, so the obstacles were, uh, you know, getting the trail marked and cleared in the first place, and then interestingly, keeping it clear, because the very nature that attracted people to the trail had this annoying habit of overgrowing a trail that had been cleared if it wasn't getting a heck of a lot of use. Um, the bigger obstacle in the later life of the trail in the second half of the 20th century was uh, land development of various kinds. So what had been mostly unsettled, undeveloped backwoods, maybe timber properties, suddenly was the site of uh, ski resorts on mountaintops and vacation homes and roads connecting these things. Um, and so the trail kept getting bumped off of locations that it had previously made use of and was stuck running along the sides of roads and highways to to you know keep the connection going um, and so those were the two big obstacles in the life of the trail getting the work organized at first um, and keeping it clear in those early days and then finding a pathway that could be protected and contiguous uh you know over the long haul so the the volunteer work that sounds like a thankless task what, what did clearing a stretch of the path actually involved i presume it means pulling up shrubs cutting boughs skirting around massive trees that uh, sort of yeah, thing a, a lot of chopping um so you know it, it wasn't just you know trimming back overgrowth um you know or a tree branch here or there it was a lot of you know chopping down trees themselves to create a pathway through the woods. Um, uh, but it wasn't entirely thankless because the work was done by work crews and work groups joined together in these hiking clubs. And so there was a fair amount of, you know, collegiality uh, involved in, in this. Um, uh, a, a historian of American hiking named Silas Chamberlain points out that in the early days, hiking was a collective group activity. You really needed a club to, you know, find somebody with a car that could take four or five people to the woods for a weekend. And so the same people doing the hiking were building their own 
trails and it was you know a group activity like you know being a member of your local you know hunting club or something like that um, and it's only in the later life of the trail that others take responsibility for it and it becomes more of a consumed activity so in the old days the hikers were producing their own trail uh, and then in later life they were just these consumers of it so the the trail needed buy-in from all sorts of organizations and political bodies. Um, was there a moment when it turned a corner and it, it was going to happen and it was truly accepted and its values were accepted widely when everyone knew it was going to happen and become a landmark? Was there a year, a time or a period when that happened? You know, that's a good question. If we had to pick one, uh, we I would say 1968, which was the passage of the National Trails System Act, the law under which the federal government took responsibility for the trail. Um, but that's only if we had to pick one date. The, the environment that the trail ran through changed so much over time that in the early days, you didn't need a ton of buy-in. There were handshake agreements to allow the trail run through large swaths of undeveloped property, a landowner here, a timber company there. You didn't need a ton of buy-in to create this pathway for you know a relatively small hiking community. Um, but as its popularity grew and it sort of grew into the fab, the cultural fabric of the U.S., then the threats to it from post-war development seemed to be a public problem. And instead of a handful of landowners that you could negotiate a quiet agreement with, you now had these parcels being chopped up into lots of little teeny tiny properties for individual vacation homeowners. Um, and so that's when it took a much larger governmental commitment. So 68 is when the law is passed and the federal government says, we're going to get behind this and we're going to protect a trail corridor. Uh, it took another 10 years for the federal government to actually put uh, enough money behind that effort and enough political power behind it to really get the effort going in a, in a big way. So let's talk about actually walking the trail. Now, if someone walks end to end, that's called a, a through hike. Now, um, perhaps you can explain about the first person to walk the length of this massive trail. The person who is widely credited with the first through hike uh, was a young man named Earl Schaefer. Uh, and in 1948, he was a couple of years removed from serving in the US Army in the Pacific theater of World War II. Uh, and he was uh, a, a very unhappy individual. He had found his army service to be utterly frustrating. Um, he wasn't sure what to do with himself in those few years after he got back from the war. And he knew that the trail had been completed in the 1930s. He knew that nobody had ever hiked it end to end in a single trip. Uh, and so he took it upon himself to to do that hike. Now the trail wasn't built for through hikes and for that purpose. Um, and the organizers had no interest in seeing it used that way. Um, but he said, I, he said to himself that 
doing this hike, which he and a childhood friend who had been killed in World War II had once talked about doing, he thought that that would be an important part of him pulling his life back together. Uh, he took photos. He imagined he could get a book published about it, which he eventually did. So Earl Schaefer's story is really the the sort of classic story of uh, a loner of an individual trying to find himself in the world. He sets himself this very difficult task and, uh, and it's transformational for him in important respects. Um, his story is a touch more complicated than that. Uh, there is there is evidence that some Boy Scouts prior to World War II as a part of a Boy Scout trip hiked uh, the length of the trail and 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 didn't call attention to it, perhaps because they didn't know that they should. Uh, the trail itself was so fragmented in the years immediately after World War II that uh, there there wasn't even a full Appalachian Trail for Schaefer to hike. So th it's it's not a debate that I personally am very interested in of who was first to do exactly what on which trail. In fact, the trail has been rebuilt and rerouted so many times over its life that talking about a singular Appalachian Trail is in some ways a misnomer. But if we think about the story of through hiking and the, the lore of through hiking, then uh, it's Earl Schaefer and his trip in 1948 that are um, you know right at the, the, the heart of that story. Okay, um, so let's jump to the 90s. Um, so I read A Walk in the Woods by Bill Bryson um, probably shortly after it came out. And that was really my first exposure to learning about the trail. Um, what was the impact of that book? The impact of the book was, as you say, it was many people's first introduction to the Appalachian Trail. Um, it was a massive bestseller for weeks upon weeks upon months. And, uh, you know, hundreds of thousands of people may had it may be they had never heard of the trail or they only knew that phrase, but they didn't know, you know, what the thing actually was. This was their entree to, you know, what the trail was and what hiking on it could be like. And to this day, um, to mention the Appalachian Trail in, you know, conversational company, you frequently hear back, oh, I read that book. I loved that book. Um, so it, it was both a lot of people's introduction to it, and it's what people continue to sort of define the AT with. The other thing was, it was such a popular book that not surprisingly, a lot of people said, hey, I want to get out there on that trail. That sounds pretty cool. Um, and a rough estimate is that trail usage in the year after the book came out uh, went up by 45%, um, which is a lot. And, and that, that uh, increase in participation you know, took a few years to, to fall off again. So there were real demands on the trail, the wear and tear, the maintenance that was required from all of these folks suddenly discovering the trail uh, through Bryson's book. It's an interesting book because he has to depart from his usual sort of travelogue style where he, he moves from city to city, village to village, place to place, describing his thoughts along the way. And really, A Walk in the Woods is a slow-moving book where for long periods of time he's just locked in woods. Um, and he really ta talks more about himself and his walking colleague as well and their ups and downs during these periods. So I think it's a little bit different from the ones that have come before. Oh, for sure. And he, 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 
he realized that one night in his tent. Um, well, maybe that's oversimplifying it a little, but he had not been on the trail for very long, he and his hiking companion, before he realized, oh, heck, there's no way I'm going to get a book out of just walking and pitching a tent day after day after day. And so he, he in fact, uh, didn't through hike the trail. He got off the trail, went back on it. He hiked only segments of it. He did a lot of outside research. So he he organized the book uh, in terms of time and physical orientation around the trail, but um, but he couldn't write his standard yeah travel log uh, about being on the trail. Not enough happened to to fill up a book. Yeah, it's a bit of an endurance task, I think. Oh, for sure. And um, and many dedicated through hikers and dedicated members of the trail community did not like the book for that very reason. Um, it, you know, as soon as he realized how long and monotonous it was going to be, he bailed out on his own trip, and then he turned the book into. Uh, as much about uh, a sort of buddy comedy between he and his hiking companion uh, and a few classic Bryson rants. And it was less about the trail at that point for, you know, for the thousands of people who bought and loved the book, myself included, it definitely worked. It's a magnificent book. He's an incredible writer, but for the tried and true Appalachian trail community, uh, it was, uh, it, it didn't sit all that well. Right. Now, the trail today, um, is it a beaten path? I'm asking because when you're describing some of the people who were in the early years walking the trail, they regularly got lost. They would wander off the trail because it may not be particularly well defined or because the undergrowth had got too much or something like that. Um, what's it like to walk it now? Is it a path where you can't get lost? Um, it is a very clearly marked and well-worn pathway, but that's not the same thing as saying that you can't get lost because it's only a pathway. The only thing in almost every part of the AT that makes it the AT are these white rectangular blazes that are painted onto trees. The pathway itself is an utterly routine, mundane pathway through the woods. And um, it, it, not surprisingly, it goes through national parks, state parks, protected lands of various kinds where there are other trails as well. And if you're not paying attention to what you're doing, you might think you've continued walking down the Appalachian Trail and lo and behold, you're off on this detour. Um, I found myself one time walking down uh, basically a, a shortcut to a parking lot, but it petered out at a stream. And, you know, um, even in the year 2019, uh, I had lost track of the trail. So sometimes I think that there's a misunderstanding given the trail's reputation and how big it is in terms of length, that it must be this, you know, very broad uh, thoroughfare through the woods. Uh, almost everywhere the trail goes, it's a very, pardon the pun, pedestrian trail. Um, the other thing is the trail does go through deep woods where if you step off the trail and you get not very far off of it, suddenly you can't see where the trail is. And if you're in deep enough woods, it doesn't take much to get disoriented as to what direction you, you were meant to be going in. And people do get lost. People have died on uh, off of the trail because they didn't stick to it. 
So look, in, in virtually every place the trail goes, it is utterly accessible to somebody popping out of a car and, you know, and tying on a, a pair of sneakers. Um, I should say in many, many places, that's what it is. But there are certainly sections of it in its re more remote stretches um, where absolutely one needs to, you know, know what they're doing and have the right equipment and know where they are and, and take appropriate uh, precautions with it. So what do you think is the appeal of walking such a a challenging trail so long but also where there's thick stretches of woods so i ask because something like the camino de santiago is a pilgrimage but this is different so what do you think the appeal is well i think there's for different people there are different um things that they find appealing in it for the through hiking community it does in many respects function as a pilgrimage the the challenge of doing the entire thing for months on end for most of them with mount katahdin in maine as their endpoint you know takes on that sort of a a, a feeling for them for other folks um it, it it just happens to be a trail that goes to an interesting point an interesting mountaintop that's not far away from them the trail was built intentionally um uh close to cities it's it's a day trip from washington or new york or boston to get to the trail and do a, a hike on it um and so it's it's convenience is an attraction in many ways i think the biggest thing is when you're on the trail even if all you're doing is marching through a tunnel of trees for you know the umpteenth hour in a row and you've gone up and you've gone down what still makes it special is the fact that the trail goes and goes and goes for these hundreds of miles and it creates the sensation of being separate from the world you're in a different kind of space when your only option is to go forward and back on this footpath underneath you and you know that if it's the appalachian trail you're going to be for almost all of that time surrounded by woods and with that feeling of nature around you so it takes on the feeling of a a an experience in a vast nature even if you know logically it's only vast in one direction and you know you could go not too far side to side and you you know you wouldn't be in in the woods anymore um, because for as many uh, uh, you know, deep forests that it goes through, it goes through far more places where there are small towns nearby, there are farms nearby. Um, so it's, it's to a certain extent, a suspension of disbelief to feel like you're in the wilderness when you're on this very narrow space of protected land. But, you know, it may be narrow, but it sure as heck is long. And as long as you're marching on the trail itself, it does have this sort of endless quality to it. Well, the, the chance to walk through 14 states is pretty remarkable. Um, so how much of the trail have you walked? I have hiked very short stretches of the trail in each of the 14 states that it goes through. Um, as I make clear at the beginning of the book, I'm not a, a, a hiker of any you know great training or experience, um, and I didn't write the book from that perspective. There's you know, a lot of books out there that do that extraordinarily well, and I had no no interest in trying to do that. Um, 
So what I tr where I do have some expertise is in the archives, in the the documents, you know, that are about the, the trail's history and the lives of these individuals who were involved. Um, so I've uh, a neat thing about writing the book was that the the libraries and universities where these archives are held are very frequently not too far from the trail itself. And so anytime I was on a research trip, uh, I could go out and, and do a short hike on the trail. So I've seen it in a lot of different places and in all of the states that it goes through. Um, but um, but I but I've not hiked, you know, hundreds of miles on it or anywhere close. I can totally relate to that. I think twice about driving 2,000 miles, let alone walking 2,000 miles through a forest. Um, either way, uh, so apart from your book, which is just out, and Bryson's famous book, um, what's the best book to read about the trail if you're going to walk the thing? Well, I think if you're going to walk the thing, the first place to start is uh, the Appalachian Trail Conservancy itself publishes you know, countless guidebooks uh, to, to walking the trail. Um, and if you purchase their guidebooks, uh, you're, you're simultaneously supporting the nonprofit that makes the trail what it is. Um, but on the topic of trails themselves, um, a, a book that I love that came out, I want to say five years ago now, uh, is called On Trails by a writer named Robert Moore. And it is uh, an investigation, a meditation of what trails are and why we find them appealing. And he goes all over the world and walks in all sorts of interesting places um, and tries to get at this idea of what is it about even, you know, a path that uh, – people created on say you know a college campus that cuts between two sidewalks um, th there's a certain certain natural appeal that leads us onto it uh, and he tries to get at why we are attracted to these things um, so that's a, that's a personal favorite for me right so the ATC is the guardian of the trail the caretaker correct the ATC together with the National Park Service uh, are, are joint custodians of it. Uh, the Park Service controls a lot of the land that the trail runs through, and then they have an agreement with the ATC, which then coordinates uh, Appalachian Trail clubs under the ATC umbrella to do the maintenance work uh, and, and everything associated with it. So volunteerism is still part of the lifeblood of the trail then? It's not just part of it. Some would say it is the lifeblood of the trail. There is no Appalachian Trail without volunteers clearing away brush, um, um, protecting against erosion, uh, building and maintaining the shelters that people can can stay in. There's a small professional staff at the ATC, but the day-to-day -day work of making this trail a place that people can walk on is done by volunteers uh, up and down the 2,000 mile length of the trail. Right. And this succession of people that you outline in the book that contributed the concept and then developed the concept and put it down on paper, then proposed it and went through the committees and got the funding and so on and so on. So there's those people as well in the background. Yeah. The, the reason that I wrote the story of the trail the way that I did was to to call attention to the trail as a human built environment. We, we go on the trail to, to some extent, forget about our human lives and the aggravations in, you know, in our towns and jobs and, and whatnot. But 
the trail was built by people for people. And um, I think the more we understand about who was involved and, and what they were after, the more we can appreciate this, this unique place. All right. Uh, one final question, Philip, which we ask all our guests, and that is what book are you currently reading or books are you currently reading? I am just wrapping up um, Post-War by Tony Jute, um, uh, the history of uh, post-World War II Europe. Um, and uh, what uh, a comprehensive and erudite um book that was uh, you know i'll tell you what if 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 there was any danger of you know my getting an inflated ego from publishing my little book on the appalachian trail reading 800 pages of of, mm -hmm. uh, of just just of, of of so well informed and so well communicated understanding um so yeah that's what i'm reading now and i'm both impressed and humbled by so you're really a history buff then I, I do read a lot of history. I, I, I think that history uh, helps put the present tense in, in context. So I think it's probably safer to say I read a fair amount of modern history. But I also read my fair share of uh, Scandi Noir and, you know, um, uh, you know all, all sorts of different things. All right. Excellent. Okay. That's all we have time for this week. Many thanks to Philip Denary for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. I, I very much enjoyed the conversation. Thank you. Philip's book is called The Appalachian Trail, a biography, and it's out now. Uh, thanks for listening. My name is Richard Davis, and you've been listening to an Abe Books podcast, and we'll see you all again soon.